listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. It says, Then I heard a triumphant voice in heaven proclaiming, Now salvation and power are set in place, and the kingdom reign of our God and the ruling authority of his anointed one are established. Praise God. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who relentlessly accused them day and night before our God has now been defeated, cast out once and for all. They conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. They triumphed because they did not love and cling to their own lives even when faced with death. I love the fact that it says that they triumphed And they conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. And the answer to every problem that we have in life or ever will have in life, I really believe comes down to having an understanding, having a revelation of what Jesus has done and the powerful testimony that he carries that he has freely given to us called his grace. And when that gets a hold of us, it will change how we address any and everything in life. And I want to I start off really by saying this, that when it comes to, and, and this really got highlighted to me this morning, when it comes to maybe the most important thing for every human being, and I, I think I probably have said that about a few things, but this is one of the most important things for every human being is that we are clean in regards to our conscience. And when the enemy comes and brings accusation against us, it's always in regards and in the place of our conscience. And unless we have had a conscience that has been awakened to the realities of the testimony of what Jesus has done, then the enemy will always have something to come and hang over our head. And there's no doubt that he will always continue to try to do that, but it's the ones who know the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of the testimony of the blood of Jesus Christ are the ones that are always able to overcome him in every single thing. I've found so many people in my years of ministering and even in my own life, times where they or even myself were tortured in the realm of the conscience. And I've, I've been on a, a quest from the Lord in the last year to really know how to articulate how powerful the gospel is, how important the gospel is, but specifically in terms of how it deals with our conscience. Because all the way back in the garden, and I've, I've explained these things before, but I don't think I could overstate it. All the way back in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell how they fell and how they died, because Jesus, our God, said, the day that you eat of the tree, then that day you'll surely die. Now, they didn't die physically that day, but they did die spiritually in terms of their conscience. And we know this because immediately they fell into shame because of what they had done wrong and then into self-effort to try to fix the thing that they had done wrong. There is an awareness inside of every human being that's ever lived on some level that they are not right. And what I've found is that a lot of Christians 
get born again and they step over into the realm of, God, I have to have faith in you, but they never fully capture the reality of what Jesus did for us through the cross in terms of our conscience. And so for somebody that is saved, that doesn't have a revelation of what happened to them at salvation, in terms of their conscience, they're no better off after they got saved than before they got saved. Let me say this again. In terms of the conscience, if someone does not have a revelation about what God has given to them at salvation, they're no better off after they got saved than before they got saved. Because salvation wasn't merely about getting us born again. It was also about getting us to see ourselves differently and to think about ourselves differently so that we could have boldness to stand before the Lord. So we could have boldness to enter into his presence. So that we could have boldness to dance before the Lord. So that we could have boldness to tell people about Jesus. So that we could be bold and we could be confident sons and daughters in every area of our life. But as long as the enemy is working overtime on our conscience and we're not aware of what he's doing, we're always going to be placed underneath of his authority in terms of how we think and see, and we're not going to be above him like we really truly are and how we're placed. Because the way that the enemy comes in, he doesn't have power except through deception. So he doesn't just come in and take over a whole region or take over a territory or take over a church or take over a person or take over a family except by getting them to believe something different, to believe a different report or a different testimony than what Jesus has spoken about them. But when you find somebody who's confident and who has revelation of the love of God and of what they really have attained in Christ, you'll find someone that is always above the devil and never underneath of him. This is crazy important. And I'm going to show you this in a moment. And, and part of what I, I begin to ask the Lord even recently is why? Why do people, because I've heard different reasonings over the years, and I guess it never really cut it for me. So I begin to ask the Lord, why do people do the things that they do? And specifically, I was asking the Lord, why do people fall into sin patterns and addictions and, and drug addiction and all kinds of things like that? Why do they fall into those things when ultimately it will bring ruin to their life that they don't want in their life? Why do they fall into those things? What causes people to do that? And I found the answer is that people are so heavy in their conscience that until they realize what's been given to them, they'll always try and find a way to deal with the pain and the frustration and the hurt and the agony on the inside a different way if they're not doing it, doing it and dealing with it through Christ. There is a hurt, there is a, a hopelessness, there's a worthlessness, there's an anguish inside of every soul, every human being, that unless they come to the end of trying to fix it themselves and come to the beginning of the relationship with Jesus... They will always have that hurt, that emptiness, that vast, that void. Until they come to a place with Jesus, that will always be there. And for Christians that say, God, my life belongs to you. But they've lived underneath of some kind of religious system in their thinking and think they have to perform before God. Those people also will be in a place of torment because they feel like they have to do something and attain to a level that they can never attain to or never do in order to please God. 
So I'm on a mission today that I'm going to eradicate every ounce of performance mentality that could, that could possibly be in our souls is going to be totally done away with today. Amen. And I've, I've found, and I've been preaching this, this along these lines, and I've gotten more revelation over the years, but I've been preaching this stuff for years, and I still find having areas in my thinking where I'll, I'll be like, what is wrong with me? And it's like, well, Kent, you're trying to either perform to get God's acceptance or you feel so worthless that that's the reason you're thinking and doing the things that you're doing is to try and numb the void and the hurt and the pain inside of your soul. This is the reason why people do the things that they do. This right here is the reason why we have family members, why we have a society, why we have all kinds of people that are addicted to all kinds of things. To be honest with you, there's probably a very, very small percentage of them that want to be addicted to the things they're addicted to. But they're addicted to it because they're trying to numb the pain that's on the inside. And in part, it works. They shut that part of their mind off. They shut their conscience off in that area. Eventually, their conscience becomes seared, and they don't have to think about the void that's on the inside of them. And what's amazing is that the answer is right there with Jesus. But the Bible says that the that the, the eyes of the unbelieving, they're blinded to the light of the glorious gospel. That's why they don't believe. It's like it's right there in front of them. All they have to do is take the green pill, Jesus, and everything is going to be fixed on the inside. Now, I'm not saying all your problems on the outside get fixed, but I am saying is that you can be clean in terms of your conscience, but the only way you can be clean, the only way you can be at peace, the only way you can have a good conscience is if you fixed your relationship with the Lord and allowed him to come in and touch that area of your life and make you the way that you're supposed to be. You see, there's a lot of people that have been saved, they've been born again, but they don't know what they have and so they, so they still live like someone who's never received Christ. And religion would be hard on them and say, look what you're doing wrong. You're worthless and you're a worm and you're whatever. Whatever kind of things would be said or whatever kind of things that they believe about themselves. But we have a responsibility to tell people and to reveal to people that they are right with God. That God does see them different. And that if they'll put their trust in Jesus, they can have a clean conscience before him to boldly stand, to boldly pray, to boldly worship whatever it is that they need to do before the Lord. And it's a ploy of the enemy to get people to be defiled in their conscience because that will keep them out of the presence of God to give them the help that they ultimately need because he is where our help comes from. Let me show you this more in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9 and 9. And I'm jumping in the middle of something here, but for time's sake, I'm not going to go back and read the whole thing, but it's talking about all of the things that were done in the priestly service and the priestly duties and in the tabernacle. And it says that it, it was talking about those, all of those duties that they did in the, in the tabernacle, the washings and all of the, the sacrifices. It says it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to his conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation, which is the time we're in now, which is the time that Jesus brought in. 
But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats, or uh, goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies the purifying of the flesh, how much more? So it's saying that if it attained to a certain level, that when people sinned and then on the day of atonement, there would be a great uh, offering on the day of atonement to cover all the people's past sins. If that offered a certain level of cleanliness in the conscience, it's saying how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. See, what Jesus brought in with the Reformation wasn't just about making us a new creation. It was about changing our position with the Lord to where we could come to him always in a clean conscience that had nothing to do with our performance. Because what they did in the Old Testament was only as good until they sinned the next time. But what Jesus did in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is good for all, everything in the past, is good for everything present, and is also good for everything in the future. And if for anyone they would say, I'm not, just not sure about that, well, you better hope it is. Because the last time I checked, there's not anybody that's living perfectly today. But what Jesus did gave us eternal redemption and causes us to be able to triumph over every accusation of the enemy. Why? Because we're holy? No, because Jesus is, and he has declared us holy and righteous. So we literally have every right because of what Jesus has done, because of what the Lamb of God has done, we have every right to come into the throne of God with all boldness, with a clean conscience, never having to come in feeling defiled. And you say, well, don't we need to repent? I'm going to get to that in a second. And the answer, short answer is yes. It's right to live a lifestyle of repentance. But we don't repent to get God to accept us. We repent so that we don't go in a, in a wayward way that would cause destruction in our life. And if you want to look at repentance in the Bible and find out what it's really talking about primarily in the new covenant, it's not talking about repenting from doing wrong things. It's talking about repenting from trying to do right things to get God to accept you. Man, that's just smack in the face of what we have learned probably the vast majority of our life concerning repentance. I'm not saying you shouldn't repent for wrong things that you do. If you're doing wrong things, stop doing that. That's stupid. Don't live in sin. Don't do wrong things. You should repent from that. But you know where most Christians are at? Is they are working in their thinking, in their conscience. They are so grieved because they're working so hard for God's acceptance. And what the Lord would say is you need to repent from those dead works so that you can simply serve the living God with a clean conscience because your works are never going to be good enough to bring you into the presence of God. It can only come through faith in him. It can't come any other way. Hallelujah. Let me show you this a bit more. Let's go to chapter 10 and look here in verse 1. And I wish I had time and maybe if... if it wouldn't put everybody to sleep. I would just teach through chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. It's incredible. But we'll have to paraphrase and just move on. But look here in chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, For the law having a shadow 
of the good things to come. What was the shadow it was talking about? It was talking about every time that they made a sacrifice, it was a picture of Jesus coming to where all the sacrifices would, have, would, would end. They wouldn't have to be made anymore. Praise God, we live in a day where sacrifices don't have to be made anymore for God to accept us. See, most people, especially probably everyone in here is probably a Gentile, and that wouldn't have been part of our heritage anyways. But the reason that God gave sacrifices is, that, is so that people could have some level of appeasement in their conscience. Because this is the condition in mankind that we have to have our conscience appeased before we can boldly stand before the Lord. And so what happens is that people that didn't have sacrifices as a part of their, their life, they would do other things to try to appease their conscience. And if you want to bring it into modern, modern day uh, 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 conscience appeasement, there's all kinds of things that people do in Christendom to try and make their conscience at a level to where they feel like they can go before the Lord. Read through the Bible in a year. And the Lord might even say, I want you to read through the Bible this year. And you, you don't get past Leviticus because it's so doggone boring. <laughs> but necessary, all scripture is important. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I was there. Stop, stop hitting in my, in my corner. You know, we're supposed to do that and then we don't do it. And then we, we go through these mental gymnastics in our conscience of da, 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 and we don't feel like we can go before the Lord. And the reason I know that I'm, I'm talking in the right vein here is because you would not believe the amount of people. I wish I had a recorder. Every time I see somebody that has been at church, that's not at church, and then I see them somewhere else, it's always the exact same thing. Oh, hey, pastor. And it's like, hey, how are you doing? Well, we've, we've been meaning to come to church. It's just, it's just been busy. I'm like, that's cool, man. It's no problem. Well, I mean, we, we know we need to be there. That's our church. And a lot of times people say that, and I'm like, okay, just stop lying to me, okay? It's okay. I can still love you even if you don't come here. It's no problem. But they'll do all of this stuff because they feel like their conscience is defiled because they've set these levels in their own thinking. And by the way, I'm for going to church, amen? Don't even walk out of here and go, ah, we don't even have to go. You don't have to go, but you should go. It's a good thing to do, amen? But people have set all these levels on the inside, all of these, these bars that they have to reach to, and if they don't, then their conscience becomes defiled, and then they start to work and work and work, and then they finally, they get so frustrated that they just quit. This is why you'll see people that are off in the world doing all kinds of crazy stuff because they could never measure up in their own conscience. And a lot of times they'll say, well, it's just religion. The preacher was so hard on me. Actually, sometimes that's true. A lot of times it's true, but sometimes it's just the own things that you said in your own mind and your own thinking. You were so hard on yourself, you couldn't measure up. The enemy kept coming against you and slamming you and accusing you that you didn't do this, you didn't do this. You think it's the voice of God. And the next thing you know, you've stopped serving God altogether. You stopped fellowship with people. You stop going to church. You don't read your Bible anymore. You don't want to even turn on a worship song anymore. And it's because you're living down here and you know you need to be living here. Your conscience is defiled. And instead of running to God, you run away from him. Anybody seen this in here before? Come on now. This is exactly how the enemy has people and how he gets people. If we are not clean in terms of our conscience, we can never boldly we can never boldly do the thing that God has asked us to do. 
We're always going to be so introverted, so looking at our own problems and how we don't measure up. And look, if we've got problems, God wants us to work through that stuff, but we can't work through that stuff on our own and get anywhere. We have to have his help. So if the enemy can get you to believe that God's upset with you, he's mad at you. I like with this song, and by the way, Aubrey wrote that song, wherever she is back there, that God, you're not a mean God. God, you're not a mad God. You're faithful towards me. You're loving towards me. You're kind towards me. A lot of people can sing that, but they don't really believe that. But if you really believe that, you'll make the biggest mistake of your life. And you go, you know what, God? I know that it's still your nature. It's still your character. And I know the relationship that I have because of Jesus' faithfulness, because of Jesus' righteousness, because of your goodness and your love. I'm not going to run away from you. Now I'm going to run to you so you can help me fix this problem that I got in my life. Let me tell you something. That's the grace of God right there. That's the mercy of God to not give you what you do deserve. And it's the grace of God to give you what you don't deserve. The mercy of God is what holds back his wrath. <laughs> Praise God for that. They all got poured out on Jesus. Amen. That's the mercy of God. But the grace of God is to just go ahead and give you the ring on your finger, the robe on your back. Amen. Even though you don't deserve it, he'll give it to you anyways because that's the grace of God. That's how loving he is. But if our conscience is seared, we're going to go in, going in at a lesser level and I don't, probably seared isn't, isn't necessarily the right word, but if our conscience is defiled or if our conscience is heavy or if our conscience is focused on human ability, we're going to go in before the Lord always lesser than what he wants us to come. We'll be just like the prodigal son that when we go, we'll be like, okay, hopefully I can squeeze back in. Hopefully I can just go in and I can just live in my father's house at a low level because it's better than where I'm at now. And all the while the Lord's going, whoa, 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 wait a second here. I see the condition in your life is really messed up, but your position with me has never changed. It's never changed. And you want to transfer that over to our relationship with the Lord? How do we know that? Because he gave us eternal redemption. It's not temporary redemption. And so I, I, people say, are you saying once saved, always saved, pastor? Stop asking that question and just believe what the word says. I'm not going to go in and figure all that stuff out. But what I do know is that when the Bible says that it's, he's given us eternal redemption, I know it's not a temporal thing. Because eternal means eternal. And God mean, means what he says, and he says what he means. So if you want to believe that's once saved, always saved, or if you want to believe there's some level where you can not be saved anymore, I'll let you believe what you want to believe. But when I read the Bible, it's like it's a forever thing that he's given us. And I can tell you from my own personal experience that I have not always lived holy. I have not always done everything right. I have not always thought right. I have blown it. I have missed it. I've had times where God was saying, Kent, I want you to do this. And I'm like, you know what? I really don't want to do this. Do that. I want to do this over here. I'm just being honest with you. And this was all just last week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but even with all of that, I got saved when I was seven years old. I gave my heart to Christ when I was seven years old. I said, Jesus, I need you, and he's faithful. I know I was born again. But then I had times in, in my, especially in my later teenage years, and I would recommend don't date for a long time. Wait for your mate. Don't date. Because we had some uh, challenging years in there anyways, whatever. I'm just saying. This actually is a pretty good thing to say. I was so miserable because... I, can I just say this? Is this going to embarrass you? My heart was just so full of lust for her. I'm just being honest with you. That's what happens when you get two people that get alone for a while. 
I mean, that's just the natural thing that's going to happen. You know? Come on now. And my conscience was so heavy all of the time, all the time. It was horrible. And, and really, it's quiet in here now. <laughs> Y'all just thought a whole lot less of me, I guess. You know what? God still loves me. Man, everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got a past. It might only be this much, but all it takes is this much for you to be defiled before God before you need his help. <laughs> There's no big sin or little sin. Now, con- conse- uh, consequently, we could have had a lot more consequences or whatever. You know, I'm not going to get into all that kind of stuff, but the consequences could have been greater, but it wasn't any different than if I just told my mom a lie or something like that. A sin is a sin. And I needed God's help either way. But we, I lived with such a defiled conscience, and I, I had a, a, a very minute revelation of, of God's love and righteousness that he'd given me. But if it had been really good, I wouldn't have been doing that stuff. I wouldn't have been thinking, you know, worshiping the creation. I would have been worshiping the creator. Amen. <laughs> I, I love just being real. These are things that people go through. These are things that people deal with. But on the other side of all of my fallacy, I finally got married and that was over. Amen. Uh, God still loved me. God still cared about me. Did he approve of my thinking? Did he approve of my actions? No, it wasn't right. Now I'm looking at like, I've got Liz's brothers in here and different ones are like, well, I thought you guys were better than that. Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you. But God still loved me on the other side of the whole thing. And you know how I know I'm still accepted with him? It's because of what he did, not because of what I did right or what I did wrong. There wasn't enough cleaning up I could have done after that for God to accept me. I had to just simply put trust in him. And now I have a clean conscience before the Lord. You know how? It's not because I've lived right. It's not because I've done everything right, but it's because I've put my trust in him. So let me finish reading this. Totally derailed there. Verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the, of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who, who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. So in other words, in terms of their conscience, if it had made them perfect, they wouldn't have continued to offer the sacrifices you got to understand something. The sacrifice that Jesus made, it wasn't just about perfecting us spiritually in our spirit, man, but it was also about perfecting us in our conscience. Because even though our spirit, man, has been made perfect, we've been born again, we still have to live with a conscience that's aware of our mistakes currently and our mistakes in the past. It says, for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. I'm going to throw something out really wild here. But you know that you're not supposed to be sin conscious? If you are sin conscious, it means that you were thinking and meditating on your wrong and not thinking and meditating on the right that God has made you. You say, well, don't I need to know that I've done wrong? When you do wrong, you know it. Anybody in here confused about when they do wrong? I'm telling you now, instantly when I do something wrong, it's like, oh, jeez. 
even if it was just a mistake and not a, not a blatant like, oh, I'm going to do something wrong. Instantly, we know we did something wrong. We know. We're, we're constantly aware of that. The question is, what are we going to do with what we do wrong? And I want to show you this, and the Lord downloaded this to me this morning, and, and I hope it comes out right. If it doesn't come out right, you can blame the Holy Ghost. But this is, this is what he gave me, and I know it's from him, so it's going to be good. But your conscience, okay, your conscience is similar to a judge. And what does a judge do? A judge takes things that come, will come before him or her and will decide whether they are right or whether they are wrong. So you could look at it like this. Your conscience, conscience is kind of like your spiritual nervous system. And, you know, having nerves in your physical body is a good thing. Because if you didn't have nerves that could help you indicate pain, you know, you could put your hand down on, on a fire or a, a hot burner on a stove, and you could burn your hand off before you realized uh, what was going on, and you could be missing your hand if you weren't looking at it. But, you know, you can touch it instantly. And if it's hot, instantly you know, oh, that thing's hot, and I need to pull it back because it's going to hurt me. So your conscience will work as a judge or as a guide to help you determine what's right or what's wrong. God gave us our conscience. It's right to have a conscience. What's wrong is to have a conscience that's filled with remorse from the wrong things that we've done. And this is where whenever we decide our conscience makes a decision, we did something, we thought something, and our conscience will say instantly, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. Seems like it doesn't ever tell us that we're right very often, but it will tell us, it will help us. And, and, and the thing is, is that we are inherently made by God to just be and just to just do right. So it is oftentimes that your conscience is going to say what you're doing is wrong. But here's the deal is that we have a choice from that point, what we are going to do with the information our conscience gave us. This is extremely important. We have two options. Number one, we can, and I'm going to read this so I, I, I write it out just like the Lord gave me. Allow feelings of guilt to produce shame. That's one option we can do when our conscience judges that we did something wrong, all right? The next thing that we can do, or the other option we can do, is to repent and trust Jesus. Now, let me qualify this. When we're repenting, this is extremely important that you understand this because I did not understand this for a long time. There are two parts to repentance. Number one is that you repent from your actions. And number two is you repent from your guilt and shame. And the reason it's so important to break that out is that if you only repent from what you did wrong but you don't repent, or repent could be a strong word, but if you don't make a decision to not get into guilt or shame, you'll find yourself back over here, which I'm going to explain this trail for just one moment. But it's extremely important because a lot of times, and this is where I believe the church has missed it for a lot of years because I never heard this explained like this before, that we'll hear, you know, if you're living in sin, and it could even be soft and nice, 
Like, hey, if you're struggling with a sin pattern in your life, come to the altar and we want to pray with you so you can be set free. And I agree with that 100%. But if all you ever do is change people's actions, they repent from their actions, from what they were doing wrong, but they don't repent or change from the heaviness that came from doing wrong, they're only going to find themselves going back into the same pattern. Because until the Lord cleanses your conscience and you begin to see that I am right with God and God does love me and I am in his favor, until you see that, you're always going to go back and try and perform to not do the same thing over and over and over again that you really don't want to do. But unless you have God's help, you can't quit doing the thing that's been hanging on to you. And the only way you can truly have God's help is by understanding what he's done in terms of the cross and what it did for our conscience that we don't have to have a heavy conscience anymore. That it's totally been wiped clean, it's done away with. We are the ones holding on to things and not him. So repentance, so when you talk about repentance, it's not just, you know, stop doing what you're doing. That is important because, you know, if you're sticking your hand over the fire and you're getting burnt and you keep doing it, there's something wrong with you. You need to stop doing that thing, amen? But also when you realize, oh my gosh, I made a mistake or I did that wrong or, or even I've been living in rebellion for five or ten years from the Lord. Whatever it is, when you pull yourself back, you also need to go, thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is wiping my conscience clean and I can just boldly come before you. And if you jump down to chapter, uh, verse 19 of chapter 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. And if you look at 1 John chapter uh, 4, let me show you this in 1 John chapter 4, and it's in verse 17, it says, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. You know, we oftentimes talk about God's love casting out fear, so I'm not afraid of, you know, climbing a tree or I'm not afraid of driving a car or whatever it is, then there can be an application for that. But in context, it's talking about the love of God is so great towards you that you don't even have any fear of standing before the Lord and being judged. Not only on the day of judgment, but even now, if you couple that with Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, which I just read, it says, now we have boldness to come in to the throne room to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. Why? Because Jesus has cleansed our conscience from having to work to attain or to keep right, right relationship and right standing with him. Man, this is awesome. So if I had learned this years ago, it would have helped me. Because you don't just need to repent from your actions. You need to repent from having a, a consciousness that's defiled before him and realize that if God forgives you of something, he's forgiven you. And listen to this. Not only has he forgiven you, he's justified you. And justified means this, just as if I had never sinned. To forgive someone is kind of like if, if you wrong somebody really bad and you come to them and say, look, I wronged you, I did this thing, I hurt you. And they say, okay, well, I forgive you, but don't ever let it happen again. That's forgiveness. And we do that with people. But if someone wrongs you and they come to you and you say, you know what, no man, no problem. It's no big deal. I forgive you. And as a matter of fact, it's just like you never even did the thing. <laughs> they did do the thing, but it's like they never did the thing. That's how our relationship with the Lord is. He's not only forgiven us, he's justified us freely. Amen. He doesn't hold our stuff against him anymore. Amen. 
If you realize this, this would change the way that you approach God and the way that you pray. You wouldn't come in and go, God, you know, and Lord, you, you just, and I'm just a wicked worm. And I, you wouldn't do that. You'd come in and you'd say, thank you, Jesus, by the blood of Jesus and by the spirit of God. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not by my works. It's by your works. I'm going to remind myself of who I am in you. And God, I'm going to boldly stand before, here, before you because you told me I could. And you told me what Jesus did. And I believe what you said. I believe your word over my actions. Now I'm going to receive everything that, that I need help in. Because, Lord, you really know that I need help, but my conscience isn't defiled before you. Amen? This is good. Let me show you what happens with this. If you go by way, you have two options. One is to repent and trust Jesus. You repent of your works and you repent of having the, the, the feelings of guilt and shame. The other one is, if you don't do that, then you will allow feelings of guilt to produce shame. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt will say that you're wrong. Shame will continue beating you over the head for what you did that was wrong. And what happens when that takes place, and this is where it becomes detrimental, and I want to write this down to where I say it right, it brings in destructive thoughts. And I can tell you that I have, I have lived there for a better part of my life than I would care to admit because I was not conscious of the fact that Jesus cleansed me and made me right and that I was right with God. And so I allowed feelings of guilt to produce shame. And here's what I found is that there's a lot of people that aren't doing things wrong. They're not actually guilty of things. I mean, everybody's guilty of a little bit, but they're not doing anything overtly, majorly wrong, but they still feel guilt. And it's because they've hardwired themselves to automatically think that way all of the time when it comes to their relationship with the Lord. And so this is intentional that you have to create new pathways in your brain. Not only in your soul and the way that you think, but in your physical brain. Liz is always telling me about this. She's like, you have to create new pathways in your brain. And when you think a wrong way or a certain way, you create a pathway in your brain and you can do it without even thinking about it. This is why you can drive from, and for me, I drive here every day, sometimes like four times a day because I'm back and forth here, there, and everywhere. And I can drive from my house to here and not even remember how I got here, not even remember when I showed up, not even remember what cars I passed, not even remember the turns because I've done it so many times. Why? I've created a pathway in my brain. But if I were to drive a different direction to get here, I would remember that. Who can relate to what I'm saying? It's the exact same way when it comes to this. We've been so hardwired to automatically go to the Lord and go down this pathway of allowing guilt, feelings of guilt, whether we're actually guilty or not, we have feelings of guilt associated with coming before the Lord that brings us into shame. And when we allow shame to continue to beat us over the head with anything currently or things in our past, it will produce destructive thoughts. And here's what comes next. Depression, oppression, and I got a list here. I'm going to read them for you so I don't forget any of them. Rejection, mistrust, worthlessness, loneliness, anger, self-hatred, self-condemnation, fear, Worry, paranoia, suspicion, and even suicidal thoughts. Because ultimately what happens is that when you, when you don't deal with the wrong that was done this way, and you try to deal with it this way, you'll never be able to measure up to the level that you've set in your mind to deal with the things that you did wrong. 
And the enemy will beat you and beat you and beat you. And this is how he destroys people. All the time, people are living at a lower level because they see themselves how they think God sees them, but they really see themselves just how they see them or how the devil has trained them to see themselves. Crazy. Oh, man, this is so crazy important. Man. Man. And so what happens is that when we get into those destructive thoughts and we stay there, then it's followed up by actions. And it's followed up by actions because people have to figure out how to numb the thoughts that they're thinking that are so rotten about themselves that are no longer just a thought, but actually part of their belief system. There are people that genuinely believe all of the negative things that they could say, all of, the, all of the, the wrong talking and thinking on the inside of them, they genuinely believe that about themselves. If you really believe that you're worthless, if you really believe that you're unredeemable, if you really believe that you're unloving, that you're all of that, and I think I heard Laurie say that you sabotage yourself, that's exactly what happens, is that the enemy comes in and he uses these thoughts and you begin to sabotage the destiny that God has for your life because you come into agreement with what the enemy is saying about you. And then actions follow. And here are some of the actions that would follow. And you'll see this. This is one of the first things, avoidance of people. You know, I, I've learned and I'm learning that sometimes when people pull back, it's not because they, they dislike me or dislike the church. And sometimes it can be those things or they might think it's those things. But they're dealing with such negative, rotten thoughts in their own life and in their own mind. They need someone to reach out and say, hey, I've been thinking about you, what's going on? And it's all this stuff that's going on. And sometimes avoidance of people is one of the main things that you'll see people do. Sometimes they'll pull away from people altogether. Sometimes they'll be sitting in a room and they'll be off in a corner thinking about, and it's basically selfish, but they're thinking about themselves and they're thinking about all of whatever the rottenness is in their life and they start to pull away from people. And then you'll find people that they'll get into alcoholism They'll get into drugs. Listen to this, legal and illegal. That's touchy, I know. But there are many people, many people that have given heed to this way of the enemy and they're numbing their stuff, maybe with the illegal drugs, but even with legal drugs. And it's trying to do, accomplish the same thing either way. And look, when people get into hopelessness, I'm not blaming them for doing that. In fact, I have a lot of compassion that has come to me for them. Because I don't want to see people get into a destructive lifestyle. And I realize the only reason that people are addicted and dependent on things is because they're dealing with uh, destructive thoughts. And the reason they're dealing with destructive thoughts is because they've allowed feelings of guilt and shame to produce those destructive thoughts, which ultimately lead to what I was just talking about. And I want to make sure I write it right, which is destructive actions. This is the very reason why people get they get into things that they don't want to. This is why after years of people being addicted to all kinds of things, eventually sometimes they'll say, oh my gosh, I have to have help. And they go through a 12-step program or whatever it is, they go into a rehab. And I'm thankful for those things. Those, those are great. Those are good things. Those have helped a lot of people. But if you could get people to come back to this place and realize, wait a second, you took a wrong path and you started going down this track and that's why you're addicted to pornography. That's why you're into all kinds of weird sexual stuff. That's why you're doing the things that you're doing is because you're so full of destructive thoughts and you're so full of shame and the enemy's been beating you over the head, maybe not even with particular actions, but just the fact that you're a living, breathing human being who's aware that they're not perfect, sometimes the enemy will even beat people over the head with that. 
And if you can get someone to come back to this place and realize, look, you can just repent and turn to Jesus, and he'll start to tell you all these wonderful things about you. He'll start to tell you how much you're loved and how much you're cared for. And the fact that he paid a price for you so that you could, you could not only be saved, but you can be saved and you don't have to be perfect to stay saved. You don't have to be perfect to stay in relationship with him because that's what a good loving father does. Hallelujah. It's quiet. I think probably this is like, whoa. It's a little bit Dr. Phil, I know, but <laughs> not really. It's really Jesus is what it is, but you get what I'm saying. It's deep, but it's really good. And this is the reason why so many people are, have so much turmoil on the inside of them is because they haven't figured out how to come to a place of being appeased in their conscience. And so they're doing everything they can to numb it by doing things that seem like it would be able to numb it. And the deal is, is that you can go and, you can go and do things to completely pull yourself out of thinking about anything good and you're so engulfed in the thing that's bad that it will numb it for a time period. If it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or a day, depending on what type of whatever it is that you're dependent on. But I'm telling you, this is the answer for people that are going down this road is that they need to climb back out of it, trusting in the Lord and saying, God, I'm gonna repent from trying to do anything to numb the issues and the problems that I've got on the inside of me, and I'm going to repent from thinking those things about me because that's not what you say about me. It, folks, it just comes down to a simple choice of saying, I'm not going to agree with that. I'm going to agree with what God says. And it can be one of the hardest things that you ever have to do to go from seeing that you're wrong, seeing that you've made bad decisions, and deciding I'm not going this way, but I'm going to go that way. I'm not going to try and fix it myself anymore. I'm going to simply trust in Jesus. And you know what? The verse that I started with, it says that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. And also because they loved not their lives all the way to the point of death. And you know why most people are afraid to go down that way of saying, you need to put your trust in Jesus because they don't want to lose what they feel like is important to them. There's nothing you could ever give up in this life that's greater than what you could have in Jesus. Not one thing could you ever have that's greater. The life, the peace, the joy, the excellence, the, the provision, everything that you can have in him is so much greater when you just finally say, I'm done with me and I'm gonna put my trust in you, God, 100%. A lot of times people think that they can stay in this, this middle road of like, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus, but I'm gonna continue in dabbling in this stuff. And they think that because they believe in Jesus, that they have favor in their life, favor operating in their life. Let me tell you something. Favor doesn't operate in your life just because you're a son of God. Favor operates in your life because you've stopped doing things on your own and you bring yourself into that father's house and you begin to, to, to receive from what he has for you. It ultimately comes down to a place of submission where you say, I'm not going my way anymore, but God, I'm going to submit myself 100% to you. I'm all the way in. I'm not hanging out over here anymore for whatever reason. I'm not going to hang out over here, but Lord, I'm, I'm totally coming into 100% submission to you. That's where you'll find the favor of God because the prodigal son wasn't finding any of the father's favor doing all of the destructive things that he was doing. Did the father love him any less? No, no. He loved them the same regardless of where he was at. 
But until you come to a place to where you say, I'm no longer going to do things on my own, but I'm going to put my trust in you and I'm going to come back in alignment with you, that's where you'll see the favor of God operate in your life. Hallelujah. Would you just stand to your feet and let me bless you? Will you give me five more minutes to pray over you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for this, just this word from heaven. This wasn't Kent. This was you. This was you, God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this understanding. God, I feel like, I, I feel like the Holy Ghost just like unwrapped another, another level or layer of how powerful the gospel is. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to him that believes. God, your goodness is what causes salvation in our life. Not just from the pits of hell, but to live in the zoe, the God kind of life here on this earth. It's your goodness. It's your mercy. And Father, I thank you that we have the ability through the Spirit of God, according to the blood of Jesus, to have a conscience that is totally clean, that is totally wiped clean, where we don't operate from a defiled, impure, seared, unholy conscience anymore. But we come in with a pure, undefiled conscience because of what Jesus has done. And Father, I thank you from that place is where you raise us up. From that place of stopping trusting in self, of not trusting in self anymore, but trusting in you, God, that's where you raise us up. Us repenting from our, not only our actions, but repenting from wrong thinking and repenting from trying to work to appease, work to make you happy. God, that's the place that we start from. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.